The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. Well, hello, Game of Thrones fans. You're here for another edition, the second official edition of Casterly Talk here on Anchor, but available in a lot of wonderful places like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more than I know because I'm not hip enough to know them, but Anchor does send them out to over 12 podcast locations. So do a search for Casterly Talk and dive into the conversation with us. And when I say us, I cannot do this show without the cast of characters that I hope to bring in quite regularly here. And my co-maester on this journey, actually he's more the maester, I'm the grizzled king who is not on the throne. It's Lon Harris, the man who coined the name Casterly Talk. Thank you. Great great to be back. I love your public domain Game of Thrones theme. This is the one that sounded most like the It theme. sounds a lot like the Game of Thrones theme. Joining us in studio tonight, I hope it happens quite often, especially during the season, is uh, another just wealth of Game of Thrones knowledge. Walking around this world with so much in her brain. Uh, she made the Collider Show uh, that much smarter last year. She's here now. Casterly Talk. Joining us, Rachel Cushing. Hello, welcome back, and I'm excited to uh, do more Game of Thrones, anything Game of Thrones with you, Ken, basically. Yeah, it, it's a pleasure, man. It's a pleasure. Uh, Lon, Rachel, uh, along the way, we're going to have Andres Cabrera, uh, Michelle Boyd, and we got ruminations from the realm with Thomas Risling, and who knows who will drop in. I'm working off the Roadcaster Pro, which means I can also eventually, I'll take phone calls, which means George R. R. Martin himself will call in from New Mexico. I'm kidding. Not kidding. Don't distract him. We need him to focus. (laughs) I've been watching YouTube videos of him lately, and it's it's mesmerizing because he sits there at these big like he's being interviewed on stage in front of like hundreds, if not thousands, of people just explaining all his decisions, and it's so in his head. Uh, it was, one of the hosts said something wrong about Damon Blackfire, and he was like, mm-hmm. "It's just amazing what is it's the his world. baby." Yeah. Of course, he knows every detail. Or if he doesn't, he's got about a thousand fans who will correct him because they know all they the know. details. They know. They know. Oh gosh, we've got season eight coming up oh, here, and we got the prequel series. We're going to dive into both of the stuff now. Lon, the last time you and I were here together, kind of doing a pilot episode of Casterly Talk, sure. we were diving in what kind of what we thought maybe the prequel series would be at that point. Yeah, I mean, I think all we knew, not that we know so much more now, but I think <laughs> yeah, all true. we all we knew was it was like Age of Heroes era. Right. And so, you know, that that was basically, I think, all we were going off of. So now we've gotten, I mean, I still don't really have a good feeling for what the show episode mm-hmm. to episode is going to be, yeah. but they've sort of set the stage a bit more for what it's going to be all about. Uh, Naomi Watts. Yeah. That's very exciting. Leading the pick, leading the, leading it, so to speak. And, and we're definitely yeah. going to dive on in here a, a little bit later, uh, the prequel stuff, but, but Rachel, overall, your, your anticipation of the prequels, of uh, the prequel series, what, where is it at level wise? It's actually gotten higher and higher with the, the, you know, trickle of tidbits that we have gotten. Um, As soon as they confirmed whatever, you know, last summer that it was uh, Age of Heroes. I mean, my neighbors probably heard me yelling for joy (laughs) because I was very scared that they were going to do something uh, in much more recent history. And I was very ready for something um, much more obscure, much more open in terms of what the TV producers and writers could bring to the table because with Fire and Blood having just come out and the History of Westeros book, we know so much about the previous 300 years or so. And um, 
the writers would be a little bit more, um, their hands would be a little more tied because George R. R. Martin has written that story. This seems so much more wide open. I love the idea of delving into an era that Martin himself has already said, well, you might think you know, but you don't really because that's the nature of ancient history. So there's just so much room in there to do a lot of fun stuff that I'm just really excited about. I'm so curious about that effect. Where are you at with it right now? Well, no, I feel that I feel the same way. I feel like part of the fun of watching Game of Thrones, especially for someone like me who has not read the books going in, is that this feeling of discovery that that characters in Westeros don't know a lot about Essos, you know, characters in Dorne don't know a lot about Winterfell. So until you go to places, you really don't have a great idea of what they're like and what they're all about. Uh, And we'll get to do that all over again. Like if we, if we did Robert's rebellion or we did other stuff that was right around the same time period, like, well, I know what high gardens all about. I, you know, we, we go to these familiar locations and I'm getting what I expect, but that's not going to happen in a show set thousand years earlier. Everywhere you go, it's going to be brand new again. And and just familiar enough to keep us around. Some of the names and right. places we know, but mm-hmm. it might look totally different. And, and I it mean, feels like I, that. as somebody who really likes and, you know, even as a writer, like gets into lore and world yeah. building and that kind of stuff. I, I love when they do stuff like this, like go far flung take it somewhere else. It doesn't need to be like right in the same era and time. And like, it's not to switch gears, but it's what's frustrating. I think about star Wars in some Uh, ways that everything is so linked up to everything Mm -hmm. else that you can't get a story. Eventually it's like Yoda's got to show up and it's like, he doesn't, doesn't they're spending too much time worrying about those connective tissue and those details and and how, how are fans going to connect these? And, you know, here we'll get Starks, we'll get Lannisters, we'll, we'll get the realms, but we won't get dragons. We won't get Targaryens. We won't get King's Landing. Like there's, you know, enough markers to help fans make that transition, but it's so wide open in what else they could do. And that's the exciting part for us. I think. Right. And I think for, for all kinds of stories and drama like this, it's, it's that combination, it's that combination of, of familiar and, and fresh. It's Mm -hmm. like enough familiar to be like, Oh, I, I get where this is going. I know what this is all about, but enough that's new to make you feel like I've never quite seen it like this before. There's still a sense of discovery. It's a hard, it's a hard balance to to make, but I think it they're is. on their their way. And, and I know you're coming from the Star Wars side. Like I, I love when Lucasfilm doesn't have to worry about little drops of canon. I think the fans get obsessed with that. I understand why, because we're supposed to learn. Like, oh, this means that, and that connects that. But I like when you can just go, hey, here's a story, and let's yeah. see what serves the story first. But I mean, I to me, I feel like even when I see a prequel or something that's really tied in that I love. The parts that I love are never like, oh, that's where he got his first blaster. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, right. it's the vest that he wears. Like, like that's never the fun stuff. It's always the new stuff that you didn't see coming. New insights. Uh, and speaking of uh, new insights and new stuff, we're going to switch here into season eight. And we're going to come back to the prequels because there's a lot to dive into. But so much. season eight, we now know April 14th, who begins the final six weeks of this series. <laughs> Uh, described as mini movies, which we kind of knew was going to happen there. Let's talk about that first. Now, for some of us, it looks like, as of right now, I'll be at Star Wars Celebration with a lot of other sweaty nerds having to watch this on a 
plane flight back. Oh maybe. God, that what what oh. a horror show! Like the, yeah. the premiere or the, the premiere, finale? The premiere oh, episode. Okay. Well, April that's 14th. better. Yeah, at least yeah. yeah. At least it's not the. Fin- I, I can't imagine anything worse than being on a plane during the Game of Thrones finale because then you land and it's like you're in a race against time <laughs> to not be spoiled. <laughs> I, I mean, I used to go when it was uh, when the seasons would start. I used to go to a, I still go to a, a wrestling convention every uh, spring, and so there's been a couple times I had to watch the first episode in a hotel room. That's all right. But I was worried about the plane. But yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's as long as you have access to a television, <laughs> and you go. will not be the only person on that plane. In fact, I rather I rather yeah. think it's going to be a communal like yeah. event. Most of you are going to be watching. Part it. of my brain is like, oh, this could be an entire plane flight of exactly. people going. What? Yeah, and one person going, I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> guys, I'm not caught up. Don't spoil anything. Oh God, I'd hate to be that person. As you guys head into season eight. What, how are you approaching this? I, I want to talk about getting ready for it. Are we emotionally ready for this? Uh, we, we, we Last time Juan talked about some wild, maybe even bad predictions, but uh, Rachel, I want to get your thoughts on how you think this will, will round up here. And then uh, we'll also hear from Thomas's ruminations from the realm talking about the characters and their journeys and what that means. So at this point, as it was season eight, now we know April 14th, and it's been a long wait. Rachel, what are you doing? Are you taking notes, doing the watch through? Have you begun? I actually did just do the watch through. Um, I had planned on it, but I planned on doing it a little closer to the season. However, my boyfriend had never watched the show before. No. Yeah, I know. There's still a few of them out there. Wow. It takes all, <laughs> it takes all kinds. It does. Um, and so uh, last fall, we made a pact because I had never seen his favorite television show, which is Breaking Bad. So okay. he agreed to watch one of my favorites and then we would watch his. And the funny thing was, I thought it would take us a while because he's not the biggest fantasy person, right? but every night he'd be like, want to get got? Okay. We're moving <laughs> on to the next episode. And we'd watch two or three. There yeah. were nights when we watched four episodes. So oh, we those are great flew through it and okay. it was so much fun. Cause I hadn't done that in that tight of a time frame before yeah, yeah. I usually had been spread out over the whole thing. And I just brought out a level of excitement in the sense of it was a lot of fun to watch somebody, mm-hmm. you know, experience it for the sure. first time. And then also with the knowledge that, you know, one season left six episodes where we end at the end of season seven. So you're, you're looking at all the details and you're looking at the character arcs because they're like, you know, blossoming in front of me over a period of months instead of the years that it took yeah. us when we watched it the first time made it a really interesting um, and fun way to sort of prepare. And um, mm. in terms of expectations, I've said it before. My biggest thing is trying to separate out my expectations in terms of where I think the books are going to end versus where I think the show is going to end. Because while big picture, I'm sure it'll be very similar because I know uh, mm-hmm. Martin explained to David and Dan what his final um thoughts were, but I, I know they're also going to be very different and, uh, you know, some of the things that I know I want to happen in the books. I'll be very curious to see if they happen in the show. It has definitely become easier. And I know, Lon, it's, you you haven't read the books, which is amazing because you're a wealth of knowledge that I think even book readers lack. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing. When we were, when we were prep uh, watching Thrones, you'd be like, uh, this guy, I'd be like, yeah, you haven't read the books? Yeah. Um, it, is, it is easier at this point. I think, Rachel, it's a great point because the show has – Taking that diversion, it had to. So I am definitely now excited for both endings. I think it sure. will kind of be the same end point, but how, how we get there, yep. it's easier for me to grasp. Uh, Lon, as you look at season eight, 
Have you begun your walk watch through? Yeah, I'm, I'm it's a, a little late. I'm, I'm late. Yeah, no, I'm I'm behind. I'm into season four, but I've just started, so okay. I've got a I got a ways to go. I'm I'm really behind the eight ball on this. I'm gonna have to have like a sixteen episode weekend. Yeah. To well, I up. do I do a show. There are worse things. <laughs> I do a show for Screen Junkies called Cram It that I write, where right. it's like I have to watch whole franchises before the new one comes out. So sometimes it's like here's ten movies that I've got to watch in like a week. So that really cuts into my game of thrones time uh, but i'm i'm committed work. i'm gonna like spend a few weekends and really catch up some time so yeah i just uh, king joffrey just got poisoned by his uh, wine like so satisfying just the other day for I, me i was watching uh, a clip uh something popped up you know just on youtube that algorithm pops up you're like i didn't even click on that but now here's a scene from game of thrones mm-hmm. and it was like season three and i was like oh like the old classic days you know <laughs> the, the rake when we just thought it was the starks and lannisters and then yeah. Oprah and everyone else shows up yeah it is it is weird that there it never settles into here's what the show is like every time you sort of feel like you've got your okay i get how a game of thrones episode is laid out i get like then they they mix it up on you right you never quite follow all the characters you think you you know week to week it's never like well we should go back to the hound and then you won't go back to the hound and they're always kind of unsettling your expectations in that way they did it in the seasons too because yeah. the, there was an expectation there for a while that the big episode was nine and right. then 10 was the fallout. Right. And then was it season six, hard home is episode eight. Yeah. And it like yeah. just floored all of us. We're like, wait, what big yeah, battle, not- huge set piece thing happening. It's only yeah, episode yeah. eight. Yeah. <laughs> and that, yeah. that one's in the middle of an episode. They do yeah. kind of the first half of yes, an episode, like it's right. a normal episode. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they're like, now nah, it's going to be like a zombie war. Right? <laughs> yeah. Cause that's good. That episode, it's always overlooked. That's Cersei licking the floor for the water in prison. Yeah. Like that one's like, yeah, yeah, yeah there's a lot going on. Like there. divided. Was that half, five? Which, that's five. Season five, yeah. right? I can't remember. I think now. so. Walk of Shame is yet. six. So. It is. Yeah. Right. Uh, is it? Yeah. Oh gosh. I. Uh oh. Uh oh. I need to rewatch every episode. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, well, that's what I mean. That's what it's like. The first time I went through and watched the show, and I think this is true for almost everybody, which is why, like, you can tell people who've watched it one time, you're you're getting the surface level details, and right. you're, you're you're getting the big movements. But you're not getting all the little stuff. That was the second time I went through. Yeah, I'm, so now the third time I'm trying to pick yeah. up even more. But yeah, I think that second time is really what was essential for me. It's funny because I just realized that no, it, Walk of Shame is end of season, season five, five. But I I just watched them in such a run <laughs> that I actually think that was probably detrimental to my memory of They're what happens of melding, where. Yeah. Like I just watched it's, you know that many episodes in a row. It kind of reminds me when I because yeah, I always uh, I have to ramp up and get ready. For, I literally, and I think everyone out there listening has to do the same thing, like Game of Thrones come back. That's why the rewatch is so important to your point, Lon, of like, just little things. It's like when it's I, in high school, I could tell you every Beatles album and the track listing. And then at one point I, I, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't remember what's on Revolver. And I felt so let down. I felt <laughs> like I didn't know I wasn't a fan worth yeah. its way, but Hey, it's all out there. It's uh, tomorrow never knows. <laughs> it's a, you got yeah. Blue Jay way on there. Shoes on there. No, it's a B side. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I feel as though I'm, I'm going to be ready. I've seen every episode enough. There's there's two levels to it though. Here's what I'm saying. There's yeah. the a character shows up and they say their name and then you're watching for a scene or two and then you go, "Oh, I get who that guy is." That's right. after one viewing. Yeah. The 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 place you want to get it, the place I really wanted to get that took two full views and it'll probably take a refresher view yeah. is the character shows up and you're like blackfish. Like you know them when they show up instead of after they start interacting. Right. And that's surprisingly hard to do. There are hundreds of characters who've been named and identified and have yeah. some kind of 
personality who's related to who and who was allied with who and who was stabbed who in the back like there's so much build up with characters you've known for a long time but they're changing and then the new people come in and yeah no it's it's who they are who they're connected to and why and yeah the significance of seeing them in Mm -hmm. that scenario because like i know a lot of longtime fans even something like the brotherhood without banners showing Mm -hmm. up for the second or third time Mm -hmm. like they don't necessarily make the beric dundarian was in the first season (laughs) connection especially because it's a different actor yeah yeah. but uh like multiple viewings you'll start to pick some of that up and it makes the show rewarding on an entirely different level when you're interacting with it on that level i i am amazed and and and, there's no wrong way to watch it. if you're a fan you're a fan but i I am surprised that i'll run it to people like oh i love game of thrones and and then they're like yeah i haven't really gone through and watched it again and i'm like how do you what I can't even comprehend. I have to watch it four times each episode just yeah. to soak it all up and well, dive on in. You don't, I think a lot of it is it, you don't realize how much you're missing. You, you right. just, a, a lot of things just kind of happen and you're like, wow, that was crazy. And you only realize on the second viewing that like they were making these connections and these little dramas are playing out all over the place that maybe you right. just weren't following closely. And it, you were focused on like what Sansa was. And doing. the politics take the lead. So Rachel, you know, when someone sits down, like I'm not much of a fantasy person, <laughs> it's like, well, that's not the whole story. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's the power of game of Thrones. And that's why I think that it's, it's, you know, stepped into an echelon mm-hmm. higher than normal fantasy because non fantasy fans have plenty to dig their teeth into. And, you know, when, White Walkers or dragons show up, they're a little like, meh, it's all right. Let, let, yeah. let, let's get back to Cersei's scheming over there on the Iron Throne. So, so true. You know, it, it's such a great balance. And I, I, I've said it before, and it always feels funny to say, but the fantasy feels realistic yeah. in the context of the world because the right. world is established so well. So well. And it's, um, and, and you know, another whole level is, is production value, you yeah. know, and how it comes across because there's those viewers that enjoy it um, on that sort of superficial. This looks really cool. It's really well acted. The, the effects, the the battles, the sequences, this is great. And then you start getting into the layers that Lon is talking yeah. about. So yeah. there's almost kind yeah. of something for everybody. Well, the one scene that I recall that's an example is the death of Barristan Selmy, oh. uh, the, the sons of the harpy so sequence. Right, but the first time I watched it, yeah. I didn't get who Barristan Selmy was. I mean, I got that. I you recognized, knew he was, yeah. I recognized that old man who was a knight who was working for Daenerys, yeah. but I didn't remember back to how he comes to be working for Daenerys and the whole backstory there. Right. And so then when you followed that and then he dies, you're like, oh, this is tragic. This is really sure. sad. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's yeah. just like, oh, that old knight died. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's, I'm not saying it's like not legit. You're still watching the show right, and enjoying it. it. But there is that whole other level that you're really not picking up until you've it's, gone through it a little closer. And it's all played so real. Uh, you know, I just was reading that book on uh, the making of The Lord of the Rings, which have you have a chance, Rachel, I know what The Lord of the Rings means to you. Oh, yes. You've read this book, mm, right? Anything you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the making of the Middle Earth or whatever it is. So great. And I think the key is, and not, not counting Star Wars and, say, Star Trek, which it's it, sci-fi fantasy but still in its own room. I, I think what Peter Jackson really set the tone of is, yep, we got wizards, we got goblins, we got orcs, we got talking trees, and we are going to play every second of it real. It's played real. And everyone on set and everyone working in it plays it real. And and, and that's what the real essence to me of the Game of Thrones was like, yeah, right, we're going to keep doing that. Yeah. It's They take it. it seriously. It's not elves and wizards in that silly sense. I mean, yes, I, I adored... 
you know, the, the all the eighties fantasy movies and, and the different things that, you know, we grew up on, but nobody was taking it seriously. It right. was a genre that was basically pretty silly willow and time bandits and <laughs> a labyrinth to an extent to yeah, conan absolutely. the barbarian all of it you know but um Legend. tolkien took it uh seriously and martin uh, followed in his footsteps and these are incredibly grounded fantasy stories and that's why i think more people can relate well absolutely maybe, <laughs> maybe. yeah <laughs> as we look to season eight and what's going on and where the pieces are setting and then we got a lot of magic coming we've got the wall mm-hmm. down we got sure. these things uh lon you and i talked a little bit of a chance for us to refresh as we get casterly talk really up and going here and now we have rachel here i think we we would uh, be remiss to not ask her like uh, i'll start with you rachel going into season eight what are you expecting what are the big things you think will happen uh, i never like to hold anything anyone down on predictions because uh, that creates weird expectations sure but you have questions. We all have questions about what we're going to see. Yeah, it's funny because I was the one last season pretty much uh, certain that there would be no Iron Throne at the end oh, of the season. Oh, at the season. end of the season, yes. I thought last season we would the fight for the Iron Throne would end because everybody would come to realize what the real threat is. And to an extent that did happen, but then Cersei as... They have written her in the show, did what she always does and turns the table and is like, nope, still not going to really pay attention to that. I'll let them squabble over it, figure out who, you know, wins the living or the dead. Then I'll deal with it. Meanwhile, I'm going to go hire the Golden Company. And believe me, as a book reader, I was very excited to see that actually is going to be a thing. Right. So my expectations were flipped on their head at the end of the last season. The wall came down. The walkers are on their way. Winter is here. Jamie, you know, riding off and it's snowing in King's Landing. Um, But the fact that there's still a fight happening over the Iron Throne um, means that there's still that political um, maneuvering in machinations and elements to the next season that I didn't really think was going to be there. I thought the focus was going to be much more about everybody turning and facing North. Mm-hmm. Um, so that has me curious, like to what extent couple episodes, most of the episodes, is there actually going to be an iron throne at the end of all of this? I didn't think there would be, but maybe I'm rethinking that now. I, I still think there isn't, but I uh, going to be thrown, but, but, I had been saying the wall was going to come down like four seasons only because I figured one day I'd get it right. It wasn't because I had any great insight. I was just like, eventually this has to happen. But even when it happened, much like what you're describing, I was like, oh, this is still, the, the world still exists. I did, I like you, thought this was going to be the final thing. And that was our, you know, then we get six episodes of a big war for the dawn right. part two. Yep. <laughs> it ain't going to be that long. Mm-mm. It ain't going to be that. No, definitely not. I, I mean, here's here's my concern is that yes. things have been a little too easy for Jon Snow and oh, yeah. Daenerys thus far in terms of getting together and mm-hmm. uniting. And so I don't knowing George R. R. Martin and Game of Thrones as I do, mm. I feel like something tragic is about to befall that situation. Yeah. Well, you yeah. remember, especially Rachel and I work, working on Collider Show last year, like we were going into season seven and season six ends with Danny and her army and they're heading out. And it was right. like easy victory. You know, that was kind of the general thought. I mean, but we all if, you, if you've been around enough and watched enough, yeah. you'd like Lon just said. You know, something bad's going to happen right. and it goes south fast. I like what Lon's saying here, Rachel, is Jon Snow, Danny, uh, they, number one, they got to deal with what they've done <laughs> when they find out um, uh, any family relations there. But uh, yeah, it could go south fast. 
I, I mean, it has to, and not just because of, of, you know, Martin, but because of, you know, narrative drama. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. it, it should. And, and that's what I liked about it was, you know, that there was, you know, a, a, a natural yet icky attraction going on and, and they got People together. were rooting for it. Uh, they really were. Um, but I think that the show did a real, I really liked that last episode because what most people are rooting for, you know, your two main characters who've been through hell and back, you know, finding love in each other, mm. juxtapose it's it literally intercut the scene with the truth about Rhaegar and uh, Lyanna um, and the fact that John, not just the blood relationship between the two of them, but the fact that John has the better claim to the Iron Throne now yeah. is absolutely going to drive a sharp wedge into that, you know, momentarily happy <laughs> relationship, which is about what we expect and what should happen in the situation because we have, these characters have been developed since day one. John's not going to want it, but Danny's still going to hold it against him and not, is not going to know how to handle that. Yeah. We all know how stubborn they both are. Yeah. So I think that there's going to be so much, you know, dramatic tension there and that's going to cause them to possibly lose focus on, you know, giant white army coming mm-hmm. your way. But, uh, but yeah, that just makes sense to me. Um, so when the season ended that way, I'm like, oh, well, this is going to get all kinds of messy real quick. <laughs> Delicious mess. Long. Yeah. Delicious. I just, I mean, I just, I feel like I don't, I don't know. How do you end a show like Game of Thrones that's constantly about not ending the way you think and upsetting expectations and, you know, like, do you give people a satisfying ending or do you stick to your guns and, and go the completely realist, like, look, everything might go badly. This is the real world. That's, I don't I don't know. That's the difference with the book and the show. Yeah. To me, the book is going to lay it all out there and be probably a pretty distressing ending, I mm-hmm. think, for a lot of people. I think the show is going to pull back. I think the show is going to, mm. you know, give us a few more things that are considered a more um, traditionally satisfying in certain ways. I think that it's still going to probably upend expectations more than just about any other TV show does out there to a certain extent. But um, I think that, and I believe the word bittersweet has come out of numerous cast members. So I think even George R. R. Martin himself has described Mm -hmm. it. Something that we go to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And look, we, we've all seen great television shows have to come to an end to varying degrees of success. (laughs) Uh, Sure. Seinfeld, MASH, Sopranos, whatever it might be. Uh, The task is daunting there's it's just so many ways it could go wrong sure i guess long, but, but i mean <laughs> most of those shows still i mean a sopranos is a good example of a show that always yeah. kind of towed that line between is it affirming or is it nihilistic or whatever yeah but i mean most of the shows you name like you kind of get tonally like seinfeld they're just stuck in an endless loop of whining and complaining you know lost it's got to be something sort of vaguely new agey spiritual like <laughs> like all this just kind of you get based on the tone like where you might not get what's going to happen but where we're going to end up right game of thrones like i don't know like it's part of me feels like they could just end it on like a huge devastating bummer and that would be like fairly consistent with how the show has been what do you think that could possibly be? I'll start first. I think the death of Danny. I mean, I think Tyrion could definitely die. Oh yeah. And I think that would really bum viewers out. Yeah. Of the, I think the main three being Tyrion, Danny and John, Mm -hmm. I think the death of Tyrion would, um, be the most bemoaned by the fans. Yeah. It, it kind of would because it, it, not a sense of justice where Danny. Yes. Yes. That, that's what I think is. I think, 
with Daenerys, there's a feeling of like, well, she's so ambitious. She was doing so much. She was going so far. Like it's sort of inevitable. Right. But with Tyrion, he's beloved and everybody feels like he's he's, yeah. he's the plucky protagonist that we want to see make it. And we've seen John die before. Right. <laughs> yes, right. Well, then, Which I is mean, why I'm pretty sure he's going to die again. Yeah, but I, so? He's yeah. brought back for a purpose has always uh, been my thought I like process. That. I, that. I, I agree like with that. that. I think that's probably going to happen, but I don't think it will have the shock value no. that they'd want right. because we've seen it before. That's mm-hmm. why I think it has to be Tyrion or Daenerys or like Sansa or... Aria, oh. we're gonna we're gonna have to see somebody beloved and central die. I think. I, I, it has to happen. I I, I, I agree with you. Uh, you know, and I don't even think like a, a Jamie would have that impact. Nope. Cersei, I, I look at Daenerys, and I think when I talk about when I think bittersweet, I think the throne's gone, the wheel's broken. Danny could die, but hey, she's reunited with Cal Drogo. You know, like mm-hmm. as her vision, bro- like that's. And I'm not even saying that's my prediction. I'm just like when I try to imagine what is so bittersweet and tear-inducing, that is one of them to me. And you just said it yourself. If she does die, but the wheel is broken, then she's accomplished the mission, ultimately. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that it is going to be, you know, the world at the end of this is going to be a new world. I think that it's going to be the end of magic. I don't think any of the dragons survive. I think the Mm. White Walkers are done. I think this is, and the idea of this is this is the last gasp of the old world. So kind of like the Middle Earth. Thing, a little bit, a little bit, gotcha. yeah, you know, and the new world, the new age sets in then, if you will, and um, and I think it's going to be, I've always said it's going to be the survivors that survive, so the yeah. characters who have survived this oh, long, like the that. Davos, mm. the Theons, maybe yeah. the Arias, I think Tyrion's bubble, bubble in, yeah. in that, in that, um, vein, so, but I, yeah, I think John and Danny are both done for. To yeah. be honest, there's, there's an like interesting that. religious angle to yeah. what we think because we've seen a few different Westerosi religions sort of either confirmed or disconfirmed. Like, right. like mm-hmm. the, the Lord of Light, we have some reason to believe, if not is real, there is a power. Mm-hmm. There. Yeah, there's some a, of it's bath salts, right? <laughs> capable of making shadows appear, they yeah. assassinate people and making old crones look like beautiful. Carice Van Houten. Bringing people back from the dead. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And then we've also got some indication that uh, the God of Many Faces, Mm -hmm. there's also some kind of real power there because Arya is uh, able to make herself into Walder Frey and so on. Uh, not really any confirmation of like the, the seven, the seven. I, I think the seven <laughs> is the biggest crock. And I think that was may might be shown so I, in some way. Yes. So that, that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like as part of, cause I think, I think Rachel's absolutely right. That part of what we're going to see is a transition from this version of the world to whatever the new world is that these yeah. characters were brought about. And I think part of that is that, yeah, some of these false gods and religions will probably pass away, but we may see Real confirmation. Yeah. I mean, Melisandre's still alive. Right. She's sort of left in this very deliberate, let's show her riding off. She still, like, sort of thinks that Jon Snow or Daenerys might be the prince mm-hmm. who was promised. I, I I can't feel like that's just a hanging chat. Oh, no. And yeah. she even says, um, she says, because she says it's a virus. Neither yeah. we both are to, going to die in yeah. this land. Yeah. So she's absolutely coming I, back to play one and more I, role. And I still go to yeah. the, her looking at Arya and it's like, we'll, oh, we'll yeah. meet again. And, I'd love to see that you again. Know. Yep. And, you know, the hound was seeing these images. He's mm-hmm. obviously on a path right. somewhere. Yes. Yeah. So I, 
So many loose ends. Oh my god! Uh, how <laughs> are they going to do episodes. it? Six episodes. It seems almost impossible. But but yeah, I feel like that is going to be an element of mm-hmm. what we see sort of in the in the end game. Is some of these people are backed by real power, right? Other people not not as sure. Uh, and, it's, and, and and it's interesting to me that what, what what's the hashtag for the season is it for the throne. For the throne. Yeah. Which is is so interesting yep. if, if we're all because. We're all kind of looking at, yeah, the throne might, the wheel might be broken, the throne might go away, and, and then who knows? Maybe it is, maybe it doesn't go away. But it's interesting if that that battle for the whole theme is a battle for ends up being battle for nothing. I don't know. Well, unless the Iron Throne is destroyed, but then it ends with the new king on whatever the new throne is going <laughs> to be. And I mean, you could even yeah. say if we are making it like it's going to become like a more modern version of the world. Yeah. More like a traditional, what we would think of as a king's throne right. would sort of lay that in. Like, oh, it's becoming real history. Or the first like election. We go to the polls. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not quite that. Or maybe mm-hmm. it fades out on a destroyed King's Landing and then we fade back up and King's Landing is now a bunch of skyscrapers. Oh. We see some cars <laughs> driving in. No, no, We've no. entered the fourth age. Don't, of I don't like that. No, it's not too, not like a Harry Potter jump ahead. Not a, not a, not a Battlestar Galactica. I'm just going to say Battlestar Galactica is what yeah. jumped into my mind. No, I don't want to do that. I love that as well. Uh, are there things that you need to have happen? And I say that knowing that is a weighted question because, you know, again, expectations can be. But, Rachel, there's things you're looking at in season eight and you're like, oh, man, I've invested so long, including the books. I know you've been <laughs> reading the books long before uh, the show came out. The things that you need to happen. Um, I need the fallout with the Lannisters. I need Jamie against Cersei. Um, and I also think that, I mean, Tyrion and Cersei had that conversation last season, which was one of my favorite scenes in terms of two characters who have come so far. And, you know, when they were talking about the, her children, just, it, it felt so raw and real to me. And that's a testament to the writing and to the acting. Um, but there's still, you know, unfinished business there. But particularly between Jamie and Cersei and, and whether or not we're talking about the Valonqar prophecy or not, but mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. the, you know, the the evolution of their relationship and, you know, this last betrayal where, like, he thought that she was going to order, you know, the mountain to, to kill him on his way out. Like, right. the, and she looked ready to do it, but she didn't. So there's something still there. Yeah. But, the, uh, but they absolutely have to come to some sort of, final terms on uh, the relationship between the three of them. It's, it's a great point because that is one of the major themes going back to episode one. Yep. It's the Lannister siblings having some problems with each other. Long, what do you need? Uh, I'd echo that, but I would add uh, the Clegane Bowl or some version <laughs> of for some version of it. We, we can't have kept these two characters both around this long <laughs> For no, without some sort of eventual meeting. Mm-hmm. I totally agree because I, I was totally thinking like Clegane Bowl and then you kind of get like, I thought that maybe that happened this season, the past season it didn't. And it, didn't, it, you know, it keeps they're still around. It keeps dying, but it's still, it's they're still, both still around. And everything about it makes sense. And the mountain has now been like resurrected <laughs> and brought back. Yep. So I feel like at some point I mean, they the, both have in in, in the, the, right. the, their parallel stories in such really yeah, weird ways right. too. It, it feels like we have to see some sort of payoff there, one way or the other. Yeah, I like that. I, I mean, for me, I, there's I look to I, I, I almost George R. Martin has this uh, love of prophecies that that are are you know incorrectly interpreted mm-hmm. or wrong or you know all point to different things. I, I 
I don't, I hate to say need, but I kind of want to know the whole Azor Ahai thing. I want to know yeah. if this was a big MacGuffin or if there was some truth to it. Going back to what you said about the Lord of Light and the, and, and the and the, that religion, which uh, seems to be, uh, you know, R'hllor and all that seems to be the only one that has proven anything in a little bit, you know. Well, some the, here's uh, what's interesting. Mass, you know, the, the West, uh, Essos. In the House of Black and yeah, White. Yeah, House of Black and White. They have... It, it, that's like an ecumenical religion. Like they have shrines to all the other it's gods. It's a salad bar. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're the Baha'i of, of, of this world. Uh, so, I, I mean, that to me is very interesting because that would seem to indicate that, you know, they're, they're sort of taking Beyond a that. wider view of like what right. the, the sort of natural magic of the world is, as opposed to like, this is our interpretation of it. Um, so yeah, but I, I think we're going to get more, some kind of a sense of right. the Lord of light and, and what the real limit of that power is. Cause it, it's, and correct me if I'm wrong, Rachel here, it seems sometimes in the show that whole prophecy was definitely always at play, but it really didn't come into focus until this last season or two for me. Am I wrong compared to the books where the books, it seems it's all about that. Yeah, because there was more people bringing it up, uh, specifically like Maester Eamon at the mm-hmm. wall and in Sam's storyline in, in the books being slightly different in, in that sense. Um, but it was, you know, it was more vague and it was more of just about like chosen one. I don't even right. know. Have they ever said Azor Ahai on the show or is it just the prince that was promised? No, I think just the prince. I think they only say the prince that was yeah. promised. And, yeah. and they, I think they were even careful to like dance around that. I think they were doing it a little bit with Stannis and Melisandre in season two, three. Right. Um, but then in the last season we got, you know, Melisandre mm-hmm. in Missandei in corrected the, the fact that, right. you know, uh, dragons have no sex and therefore this is not um, interpreted correctly and so that it could be prince or princess and so now i felt that was a sort of coming together for book readers the mm-hmm. prince who was promised azor ahai and the three-headed dragon right and i don't know if there's three heads they've never said it but the idea basically being that there's a camp that thinks it's john there's a camp that thinks it's danny it's probably both in some right. way. Yeah. Like that's the twist on it in some way. So I think it definitely came in more into focus as it came into more focus that it was probably one or the two of them. Yeah. Which makes me think into the books. And I cannot wait when we finally do the episodes when Lon has read all the books. We'll come back in 10, <laughs> come back in 10 years when he can finally yeah. get away from a screen junkie's work. Um, because yeah, no, that, I'm going to start, I'm going to start right after this season. I've, love I've it. decided. I love it. Yeah. I, um, I, I'm waiting for the show. I'm going to watch the show. I think it's, Oh, that's smart. Yeah, I don't want to start it now, but yeah. uh, and then I'll I'll go through the books on there. Yeah, because because that that stuff really starts to it's all there and it's and it's mm-hmm. so you know the comment everything yeah. kind of seems to mean more in the books. But I get it on the show. I get that change, which is why it's easier to look at them uh, separately. So that's kind of where we're looking at where we think the show will go. Um, if you don't have time to rewatch the whole thing, I don't want to put it's you a lot. Them. It's a lot. Yeah. Of, what are your I, highlights? I sort of wished I'd started at like three, maybe this time. <laughs> yeah. What What do you feel you need to see to really ramp up to get ready for season eight? For those listening, here's your mini checklist. It's so hard Oof. to know yeah. what's going to pay off down the road. <sighs> that's a great point because you, you might, Ugh. I'm not going to watch that storyline. But I will say having just, and I know I'm prejudiced because this is where I am. I, having just started at four, I do feel like the kind of the end of the war of the five Kings or whatever right. you want to call it. That is kind of a nice sort of, you could start there yeah. 
and you you know you'd have missed that original phase and that's kind of where the show moves into another phase anyway it, it, it it's interesting because it's it could be almost misinterpreted as sacrilegious to like cut out if you're doing it if you've I'm seen on a rewatch, on a rewatch yeah on a rewatch. obviously he's not gonna he's not suggesting we're not suggesting you don't watch the first three yeah. <laughs> also if you haven't watched the show and you've listened this far you might be a little lost <laughs> yeah i don't i obviously we're talking about going back but, after you've watched you have to start for the first episode your first time through you won't know it's what the interesting that on. you say that because i kind of i totally get that where four it starts transitioning towards the end game a little more where the clash of well it's just we've you know, seen yeah we had the whole war mm-hmm. the lannisters sort of functionally win yeah. joffrey ascends to the throne and it's like okay that that phase of the story is over and now we enter this new phase yeah and I think that, that that would make sense as a place to sort of jump in for me. If you were going to do an abbreviation. Well, it's funny. I might have to. I'm, think, I'm thinking aloud here. I might have to start with that because I have seen the first three seasons so many times. <laughs> because right. of, uh, yeah. it was like season one, let me rewatch it before season mm-hmm. two. Season three, let me watch one and two and so forth. Right. So I've seen I mean, those like, ones. Stuff like Blackwater is great and it's important yeah. context for what comes later. But it's also like that hasn't ha- that doesn't bear as directly on what's happening now. Right. As you know, like I, yeah, I, I, I kind of get the death what you're of Oberyn yeah. Martell or something, right. which really directly watches in the wall episode yeah. and the wall and all the problems certain really taken off north of the wall. So I, I like that. Uh, Rachel, do you have things that you would pick out? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, I would think like all the season finales would be important mm-hmm. because there's sure. always seems there's always that like the sort of the denouement from the episode nines, which are these big events, but it's actually reactions to the events that mm-hmm. are the most important because they're propelling the stories forward in the next seasons. Um, but yeah, and like if you're looking up synopses of of episodes, like you know, pay attention to you know, scenes with dragons, scenes with white walkers, um, and, you know, and maybe really try to track Cersei because that anything surrounding her is always, you know, that she's got the pulse on things going on in King's Landing. It's also true because Lon, you said it too, where like sometimes you just don't know where to go. Like, one of my at the time, one of my least favorite episodes was the was it the climb, right? The the chaos is a ladder mm-hmm. speech one. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I remember watching that going, eh, whatever, placeholder episode. Now I look back, I'm like, that speech, that speech. is one of the best things mm-hmm. ever with Baelish. And I can't overlook that episode. There's no episode, so it's hard to it is hard to just start picking out, but you could you could do it. But you could do it, yeah. but yeah. Well, if you got the time, uh, quit your job. And watch <laughs> I think uh, 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 a, a friend of mine, uh, I'm just going to say friend of the show, but he's never been on the show yet. Uh, Chris Taylor, who wrote the great book, How Star Wars Conquered the uh, Universe, writes for Mashable. I think it was him. I want to give him credit. If it even it wasn't. Last year did one of those. Here are, if you only have to pick a few each season, here's what you should do. Here's how you should find, and it was pretty fascinating. It was pretty accurate. It was like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that would be a, a fun challenge to think about yeah. if I had enough prep time, because I know what a lot of my favorite episodes are, but it's not right. necessarily right. Well, the there's some that, that really forward the stories yeah. along, and then there's others that are more like action, sort of payoff oriented. Sure. Like right. Battle of the Bastards is a great episode, but you know, you could sum Again, up what we happens. know. Yeah. Yeah. He, he gets Winterfell <laughs> back, Ramsay yeah. dies. Great. Right. Moving <laughs> <It's> on. Like <laughs> not, <laughs> end of episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not a ton to learn, but True. very fun to watch. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, well, season eight is finally here. I cannot. It doesn't seem like it was that long, but it sure. it was. Speak for yourself. In, 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 <laughs> in, I feel like it's been a long time. In the nerd world, there's been a lot. So before we uh, go into our prequel talk, I want to go to our segment, Ru- Ruminations of the Realm. This is from Thomas Risley. I call him sometimes Sir Thomas the Tall because he used to call into Daily Thrones when uh, this was this feed was called Daily Thrones. And uh, he was so insightful, uh, kind of uh, pulled him into the ranks here. And he always does some fun little things. We'll take a listen, we'll talk about it, and start talking about the prequels here on Casterly Talk. Hi, I'm Thomas Risley, and welcome back to Ruminations from the Realm here on Casterly Talk. On today's episode, we're going to touch on the personal journeys that some of our favorite characters take, and we'll look at how they struggle to either find out or remain who they are intrinsically. That being said, let's start off with Arya. Arya Stark begins her story as one of the most, I guess, innocently curious and good-natured people that we meet. That probably gets taken over by Sam at some point, but nevertheless. Soon after the murder of her father and other family members, she starts to find herself slipping towards this world that's fueled solely by revenge and death and the notion of completely forgetting herself. And as her trials and tribulations continue to push her forward, or, or just push her in general, Arya Stark wishes to fully embrace being no one, a faceless man, I think partially in an effort to battle her past experiences, but primarily to gain the tools to exact her revenge. She only pursues this for a short while, and then she embraces not only who she is, but the traits that are inherent in the majority of her bloodline, those good traits that make the Starks the proud, honorable family that we love. She embraces all of those. And I think that what we can glean from Arya's story, at least with this topic of discussion, is that you have to know who you are first before you can learn how to remain yourself through the endless hardships that life's going to throw at us all. And I guess let's uh, let's move on to Danny. So I know I think we all know this. Danny begins her story pretty jaded right off the bat. You know the actions of her father and her family largely inform her treatment by others for the majority of her life. And I think that Danny grows to see uh, Viserys's petulant decisions and actions as somewhat of a relic of her father's ways. She uses this as a metric by which to measure herself and her own goodness. And I think it's partially what kind of pushes her to become. Uh, Khaleesi and and I think that first the first moment we really see that is when she stops the uh, the Kalasar and moves into the uh, the trees or or shrubs I can't quite remember what it is and Viserys comes running out that's the first moment where we really see her um, she still stops them from harming Viserys because she's still concerned but we really see her move into a bit more of her own person and less of what her brother's kind of pointing the finger and telling her to do and although Danny never fully moves on from her past as it's what drives her forward, she is consistently able to learn from her brothers, fathers, or previous family members' mistakes. And now it's not without mistakes of her own. You know, she the merciless burnings of Randall and Dickon Tarly are, that's the biggest mistake I'll point to. Now, John, let's talk about John here for a minute. Despite the majority of his family being betrayed and murdered, despite the Night's Watch not being the brotherhood he expected, Despite losing the woman he loved, being murdered himself, and later being resurrected, he still remains himself. And I think Jon Snow is, because of this, a great example of how using all of your negative experiences as learning experiences can allow you to strengthen your resolve and remain steadfast in your beliefs. Jon is is very admirable that way. You know, his goals may change, but who he is, and at least who he believes himself to be, never changes, and he stays to that 
virtually for as long as we've seen so far, at least. Now, Cersei is more of an example of how a jaded person can choose to remain that way, and how the decisions that are influenced by that kind of crooked line of thinking can further damage and jade the individual who thinks that way. You know, we see this with Cersei when she tries to eliminate all of her enemies by taking out the Tyrells and the High Sparrow at the same time, blowing up the Sept of Baelor with wildfire. In doing this, she relieves herself of one problem, and, I mean, ultimately is the sole cause of her son's death. Tommen takes his own life because of Cersei's actions. Now, the Hound. I think the Hound is, this is going to be pretty short, but I think the Hound is a great example of how a jaded person can come back around. But I think what we all need to be wary of is look at how long it takes him to come back around. Even now, as we enter season eight of the TV show, we don't know if the Hound is, you know, really fully a good guy or really fully a bad guy or somewhere in the middle. You don't really know where his head's at because I think he's struggling to fight through all of his past experiences to find the person that he is. And I guess just look at how long it took him. You know, I think the warning we can take from the Hound's journey in Game of Thrones is to ultimately avoid being jaded by your journey and your experiences. Use them as as um, metrics from which to learn and which to measure, but don't become jaded by your journey and your experiences. And I think, uh, you know, in closing, these are, of course, just my observations. What I'm trying to say is, much like Samwell, if you have the strength to survive a literal montage of crap, you probably have the strength to hold on to whatever makes you, you. And I think this idea can be applied in one way or another, to almost every character within the world of A Song of Ice and Fire. And to some extent, possibly, every character we've ever enjoyed watching. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can take part in Casterly Talk here on Anchor by commenting or calling in. And please be sure to subscribe or to favorite this feed, depending on what platform you're using, for more ruminations from the realm on Casterly Talk. Thank you, Thomas. Always love his insights and his perspective up there in Canada in his own uh, battle with winter mm-hmm. all the time up there. So talking about uh, the growth and what we learned, let's talk about jaded people there. What, what, Lon, Rachel, what are the characters you think have made the biggest change in the show and, and, and what draws you to those changes, Rachel? Well, one of my favorite characters in both the books and the show is Jamie Lannister. Um, my mother is very angry about that because she's like, nope, he pushed a kid out the window. There's no coming back from that. <laughs> However, I think there is, and I think it's one of the most stark, um, if you can forgive the uh, pun, pun. <laughs> Uh, journeys, because um, uh, like uh, we just heard, there are some journeys that circle back in ways. Right. Like Arya, I think, is a good example, uh, where she's physically changed and she has certainly new abilities, but she's come back to come, you know, gone down this road of revenge and now come back from it and is is um, back to, you know, uh, the more family oriented person that she was at the beginning. Whereas I think Jamie is is um, a much more interesting, much more layered and much more complicated arc that's turned into her, him into a better person. And right. I think that's hard to pull off and be believable. And I think the show did. From that starting point to where he's even now, yeah, that's quite a journey. Long, what are some of your favorite changes? Uh, well, we were we were talking a little about the Hound. I think that has been a really you know interesting sort of journey that he's been on, and it's so so tempting to make it cheesy or to yeah. overdo a, a transition like that from being this gruff, hard, you know, angry loner to somebody who 
sees that they have more of a place in the world. And, mm-hmm. uh, but they've handled it really, I think, beautifully. The other thing I think that's been really interesting is watching all of the younger Starks who yeah. opened mm-hmm. the show, even just their relationship and how they think about their father mm-hmm. in the, in the intro, in the first season, they idolize him. He's almost godlike. He's the, right. you know, the Lord of Winterfell, and all this, this yeah. larger than life figure. Uh, and so to see the most recent seasons where, you know, Sansa's urging John, like, don't make the same stupid mistakes that our father did. Right. It's really fascinating to see how they've come to sort of not without, you know, they don't hate him now. Like they still no. love him and remember him, but to, to see how their perspective on how he moved through the world and how they want to move through the world, I think has been really interesting. To see Some great stuff with Sansa, specifically with Sansa of how her growth, but also, yeah, some of that, like, not a tearing down of Eddard Stark, but just like a realistic look of like he was almost too pure for this world, right? And well, you and, can't be. Like- and I like how that how that mirrors. You know, they're they've learned so much more yeah. about how this world works over the last few years and their experiences that it's given them this added perspective they just didn't have before, right? And the show's done such a good job in later seasons to make that callback. They bring him up in conversation. Right. They stand in in front of the the crypt, um, and it, it's so telling that the one who was most like him was Rob, and he didn't make it either yeah. Yeah. and john to an extent and he was killed for it and but he's right. got a second chance so there's such an interesting you know you can track all of the stark children's journeys in relation to how they you know related to their father when he was alive how they see him now as they've grown up you know it, it's the story of growing up but the the show's done such a fantastic job of you know um centering that around the the um the memory of their right. father. And, and final thought about uh, in Thomas's segment here, you talk about Cersei and yeah, she, she has a, I think, a, I think a lot of reasons to be jaded, bitter, messed up. I think that's one of the things I, I, I really start to learn and love and respect about that character, but she seems to get, she's a, an example of continuing to double down on those things. And, and, Again, I sometimes I have a lot of sympathy, and I think that's all. Uh, Lena Headey brings that and bring those that that scene with Robert Baratheon in season one of did, did we ever have a chance is 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 show only, and it's heartbreaking. Yeah. But is there any redemption possible for Cersei Lannister? I, I think I, I mean I don't I don't think so. I think I think they're they're sort of past the point of no return. I think we're looking at an interesting dynamic in that. Uh, like Lannister and, and Targaryen have almost flipped that she's right. become the mad king. And now it's going to be up to the Targaryens to come save the day and depose yeah. the, the crazy king. I feel like it's more that kind of story than her having a redemptive arc. In fact, I almost mm-hmm. to echo what we were saying before. I think it might almost be Jamie's redemption will be complete yeah. if he manages to somehow take her out. Take her out. I like that. Cersei's an example to me of a self-fulfilling prophecy because we have ah. the prophecy scene and, you know, the, the she's so desperate to protect Tommen, but she's actually the cause of his death yeah. by her actions. And, and so mm-hmm. I think she's, you know, by fighting the prophecy and by fighting against all the rules of this world, of being a woman in this world and yeah. fighting tooth and nail to claim power and hold on to that power and to prove all the men wrong. Um, but she's then 
turned into the very villain that maybe, you know, she was right. sort of fighting against in all of them. So I think that I think that's fascinating in and of itself, but I do think at this point it's irredeemable. I, yeah. I love it. I think she speaks a lot of truths when she tells Oberyn mm-hmm. of, you know, everyone in the world they treat girls bad, all that. So yep. she speaks a lot of truths, but you're right, turned into something else. That that scene where we flash back is such a they're sort of telling you how important it is because I, I think at that point had there ever been a flashback? No. I think that was the very no, first yeah. flashback yep in Game of Thrones history. Yeah. Um, so that that just even that, that the we jump back in time to yeah. her as a little girl is so telling that they're really focusing you on this. Yeah, Maggie the Frog played by I didn't know, I didn't pay attention at the time. Because I, I get so wrapped up in the story sometimes that if I'm not doing an after show, I don't look up the cast right sure, away. Sure, yeah. Jody May, the younger sister from Last of the Mohicans, which is ah. that's one of my all-time favorites, and I, I couldn't believe no I didn't idea. see it. Yeah, I didn't I was just up like, up oh, that's that. Maggie the Frog. Not nearly ugly enough to play Maggie the Frog. That's they true. tried, but they, they didn't even come close. Up a little bit, you know, yeah. they, did they turned the lights down. What are you talking about, Rachel? All right. On that note, let's. Oh, I was going to yeah. say one character. I feel like there's only because I, I, I agree no, with what he was it. saying that that these characters, you know, that everybody's had their arc, had their journey. But one character who has it is Varys, and I'm very oh, curious to see. He's been even when he, you know, like early on, it was his struggles with Littlefinger, and obviously. Littlefinger's gone. He's still around. He's won. But we never really, there's no forward motion for him. He's always somewhere in somebody's court scheming. Excellent point. I love that scene in season seven where Danny kind of is like, why would I trust you? Here's your resume. And it was one of the only times that I felt he, it was the first time real conflict came to him because he's so good at what he does and he sneaks around, gets it done. But But the fact that he's still very much sort of in play leads me to think there's something, there's something going on there. Because Rachel will tell you, he is a merman. No? Is that theory not good? I've heard the theory. theory. (laughs) Popular theory. I do want to talk about the prequels here and the time we have left here. Anyway, I mean, we could go for hours, but Mm. we're going to do this here. We, uh, last time Lon and I were really sitting down for Castle Talk, uh, as we talked about up top of the show, (sighs) a lot of vague things. We knew the time. We knew what was going on. We could have some predictions. But now we're zeroing in on what we got. And I'll just read this from Variety. This is uh, the the casting news that, uh, you know, people have been talking about it. Uh, for a little bit now, but it is, here's our chance to. The Game of Thrones prequel pilot HBO is taking shape. Naomi Aki, uh, Denise Gao, Jamie Campbell Bauer, Sheila Atim, Ivano uh, G- Jeremiah, Georgie Henley, Alex Sharp, Toby Ragbo have all joined the pilot in the series regular roles. They joined previously announced cast members Naomi Watts, which we mentioned here, and Josh Whitehouse. And S.J. Clarkson directing, of course, Jane uh, Goldman. And Goldman, right? I get that. Oh, God, I would hate mm-hmm. that. Yep, Jane Goldman yep, and uh, George R. R. Martin uh, putting this together. So what do we think now? It's a wide open forum here. I'd love to do some predictions on what you guys think. Maybe some of these characters mm-hmm. uh, uh, are going to be playing in the timeline. But this cast, Rachel, uh, shaping up really good. Yeah, I, I mean, by far not the first person to say it. Very diverse. I love that they're also continuing the tradition of Game of Thrones in the sense of you know, some of these people we've seen before, but certainly right. not in any sort of blockbuster sense or, or um, a breakout sense. So this could be their big thing for them. And I like that because, it's, it's you know, they, they, they've been around the block. They're good actors, but they haven't broken through. And this could be the thing. Um, yeah. It's it's uh, pretty young across the board thus far. It is, yeah. Uh, which I thought was interesting. Um and in, like I said, uh, very diverse, which is great. And uh, I'm curious if that's um, reflect 
perspective of are we going to be getting st- I think a big question about um, the new series is are we going to be getting stories from Essos as much as from Westeros it's one of my questions anyway yeah. um, and I think that probably because we did in Game of Thrones and this is a big world and if um, you mm-hmm. read in some of the books like they do hint that the long night was not didn't just happen to the Westerosi right. it happened on the other side too there's um, legends from the Roinar talking about the Mother Roin River freezing yeah. all the way down to the south so there's things like that that I think that could be interesting and um, Essos is a little bit more ethnically diverse and if, are we talking about summer Islanders? Are we talking about people right, from Yeti? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of really cool possibilities with that right. stuff. Yeah, which, which, uh, other than just liking the, the this cast on that kind mm-hmm. of just hey, cool, diverse cast level, it made me think like, oh, this might be f- more far reaching than I than my yeah. limited brain. Mm-hmm. It's not just to be Winterfell, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the they could theoretically. I mean, it's a thousand years earlier, but they would still be able to like travel back and forth theoretically i mean yes. well, the, some form of ship or raft or oh whatever. yeah right yeah there'd be some i think that i think that's the really interesting part about so we know the age of heroes it's the first men that live in westeros however it's right. pre the andals right. so the first men got to westeros by the broken arm which wasn't broken through dorn right. um so they didn't sail there mm-hmm. um what we do know though is this is something of the golden age of the ironborn who they mm. were the only ones that had pretty decent ships in this mm. about time frame. So I think that th- I honestly think they'll be playing a fairly big part because they were raiding the shore all the way up and down and therefore mm. would be affecting Old Town, uh, Casterly Rock, the the stony shore in the north. Um, yeah. So that could be the connect the connective tissue there. But it, it would be really interesting to see how they could other than thematically connect stories happening in Essos. And yeah, Westeros. I mean, that's because that's if you I feel like if we're following both continents, there's got to be some give right. and take back and forth mm-hmm. or it right. would be weird. Right. And and then starts looking at like timeline and, 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 and well, first of all, you guys were looking, you guys, we were talking off air about S.J. Clarkson mm, uh, directing. So at, least, at least we'll be soon as the pilot possibly, you know, who knows, a couple episodes. Uh, I don't know if they're going to pass the ball around or not like the, the regular series. Mm-hmm. Um, some work, Jessica Jones, were some other things that we were looking up. Orange is the New Black, right. Ugly Betty, uh, Heroes, Bates Motel. Yeah. Um, Collateral, Collateral also, which is a really yeah. cool BBC series with Carrie Mulligan that's mm. on, on Netflix now. So okay. it's only four episodes, everybody. It's so stop watching the fire doc. Documentaries. So watch no, as watch. Well. There's room for both. Watch all the fire documentaries and then collaborate. Not the Tom Cruise movie. Make sure it's right, right. Because that is one of my favorite movies too. But it's TV show, TV yeah. show. But yeah, so Rachel, a lot of a uh, lot of good credits behind her. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm ecstatic that it's a, a female behind the camera, but also that she's a, a female who's directed a lot of really strong female characters as mm-hmm. well. And I mean, at this point, we're pretty much assured that Naomi Watts is. The, ah. I hesitate to say Sean Bean of the show because that could go down a <laughs> that's dark true, path. That's true. But in terms of when we all came to season one of Game of Thrones, Sean Bean was the name that most yeah, of us sure. had He's any on the posters, notion yeah. of. Exactly. So, um, so the fact that it's a woman is pretty awesome and, and has caused lots of fun speculation. But um, but to have a woman behind the camera who is well known for directing strong female characters is exciting to me. It works. It works. Let's get into timeline and character predictions here. Uh, that's fascinating. Age of Heroes. Uh, I am not the repository of knowledge that Rachel is, but I've watched my videos. I've done my research, mm-hmm. uh, and it's something I because I love the history of Game of Thrones. So I was I, I it's it was always what I gravitated to when reading 
the egg on the conquest, all that stuff was great, but this was fascinating to me. And so we got, you know, 10 to 8,000 years or so before the current events, roughly. But what George R. Martin keeps saying is, but really, we don't even know that because it's the history that some rocks have said. <laughs> we don't even have books from this yep. time period. Uh, Rachel, do you think they're going to play with that even more? A hundred percent. I think that's why they chose this to be the prequel. Um, he did an interview with Entertainment Weekly and he said it's probably closer to 5,000 years, which was something that was quote unquote speculated by the maesters in his own book. So he has <laughs> set this up brilliantly in the sense of the farther back in history you go, the less detail you actually have because nobody was writing down everything. So everything was being passed down by a uh, word or songs and then whoever was writing it down might not have been writing it down correctly you know changing it depending on who your lord is at the time like i said earlier when the andals invaded westeros they were the ones who brought writing with them mm-hmm. and they brought the the seven with them so they were probably not all that keen to write down all the history of the children of the forest and the giants and the first men and everything else that's not as interesting to them they want to write their own them their own histories so there's so much room for interpretation and misinterpretation and you know the fact that they were saying that the age of heroes could have been anywhere between eight and twelve thousand years ago yet it's closer to five Mm -hmm. that just shrinks the possibilities also in terms of well this character and this character might have actually lived at the same time so Mm -hmm. they can cherry pick and really play with this stuff in a way that just makes me excited for the writers yeah i was uh, was fascinated like you know uh, was a garth greenhand yeah uh, you know you get the sense that he was early very early on in the age of heroes and that uh, he may have you know wasn't palling around with brand the builder uh, may have had some relation to him you know and then now it's like no they could be at the same dinner table it's entirely possible which is good for the the showrunners because they can get those legendary names that we have been hearing so much before i mean there's no way this show doesn't have brand the builder in it in some way shape or form right that's my biggest thought i I even think josh whitehouse is brand the builder i like you look at him he's got the he's got the starks curly curly locks i mean i I but it's not going to be clear from the get-go that that's who he is he might have like a nickname or there's going to be some i'm bob the builder well i mean (laughs) another thing like if you're because obviously you know it's so steeped in real history and there's so much of an attempt to sort of make it like history and so uh, you know, when you go back and study medieval history or earlier, like a lot of these stories are apocryphal or mm-hmm. like characters are based on eight people that they combine. Like King right. Arthur, they think could have been like several king early kings who got right. merged together. So I think they could even do stuff like that. Like, I think there will be a character who is Bran the Builder at some point. Mm-hmm. But he didn't build Storm's End and Winterfell yeah, and right, the Wall right. and the right. base of the old town, uh, old tower. Like, right. yeah. <laughs> but that's what I mean. I think I think part of the fun that they could have with the show is untangling some of that mm-hmm. stuff and showing us the real stories behind what would become legends later. Tying in the real history. I mean, if you have been watching my George R. R. Martin videos, I just got in this little YouTube algorithm. They keep popping up, and it's him at these conventions. Just <laughs> at explaining. least it's George R. R. Martin and not. <laughs> yeah, it could be a lot worse people. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. like it's not Jordan Peterson. Yeah, exactly. And. 
that edit. It's like I'm sitting there, and he just he really, really is a student of this history, like you're talking about. No secret, we all have known this. Sure. So what you're describing, Lon, is interesting to me because it seems like it'd be really interesting to him to go, yeah, yeah, that King Arthur thing where he's really eight kings, yeah, that is Brand the Builder. You're, you're right, Rachel. He didn't go around and build everything. It's it, it's something different, and, and, and George getting to help explain that, explain his own myths. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems like he's just rolling up his sleeves and snapping those suspenders. I mean, what, what could be more fun in terms of world building than that? Like getting to write the world's history and then be like, ah, but they didn't know what they were talking about. Let me tell you what the real story was. And I, you know, like that's part of what Game of Thrones is already doing is sort yeah. of setting you on one path and then going back and be like, ah, it wasn't exactly like that. Like right. Odor. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you sort of think he's one thing for most of the show and then you discover it's a totally different they story. They go flippity-doo. Naomi Watts. Rachel. Who is she? And that's the, that the interesting part about it is so whether or not we believe it's a character we've heard the name from. So right. if you've read the world of ice and fire book or you've read um, the books and, and had some names pop out, there's only really a very small handful to choose from. Um, and you know, I, there's people talking about it. It doesn't fit with the chronology, but because they can play with it, you know, uh, a more magical or 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 right. somewhat magical uh, creature that who the the woman that lured the thirteenth Lord Commander away from right right the the, the, the oh, origin what? of the Night King. Now that it doesn't work because the Night's Watch yeah. hasn't been established yet. But right. if it's based on a real woman and like a, a, a legend was born and it was twisted and it became something else, I think you're the one who suggested um, yeah. during uh, during God's during griefs. God's griefs uh, wife. wife, he was a daughter of the gods, basically. Yeah. Well, because the only description we have is she's playing a socialite with a secret. Yes. And I, I, I immediately went to during God, during God's grief, who, you know, the, the guy basically, uh, uh, you know, legend says he created Storm's End with Brand the Builder's help, right, mm-hmm. uh, to build it up. Seventh castle that worked finally or whatever it was. And, uh, yeah, his his wife uh, or the one he married, if I love whatever. Yeah, she, she's uh, she's got the, the ties to these gods. So I'm thinking, well, that makes sense, right? I'm a socialite. My secret is I'm a daughter of the gods, whether, that, you know, they play mm-hmm. that as real or not. But then what you're also saying, the legend of, of the. The, the, the knight, uh, the knight's king, and uh, and going and falling for a you know a dazzling woman with blue eyes up north, that just popped in my head as even more realistic. What a secret that is! If they play that as real, right? Because it's it would be the twist on the legend we thought we knew because we know right mm-hmm. off based on what we know the chronology doesn't work, but there's enough about ancient history that you know, through the ages, the story got twisted and turned in such a way. So it just, it strikes me as, you know, she's, she's got to be a part of one of the, the major houses or the major plot points. So like Stark's, um, uh, the, the storm right. Kings, um, right. Before they were Baratheons. Um, one of Garth Greenhand's daughters, there's a number of right. them that, you know, founded certain houses. Um, and then one theory I really like, I was actually really like excited because I came up with it and then I, I read uh, that so did somebody at Nerdist. So it wasn't just me. <laughs> um, but uh, the idea, so one of the uh, legendary figures is Len the Clever, the, how, the who right. founded House Lannister. He actually has slightly more fleshed out possible stories than some of these other right um uh, legendary figures and the idea was you know the casterlies owned and mined the rock they never styled themselves king of the kings of the westerlands but they were the richest family and then land the clever 
basically hoodwinked them out of it. Right. And there's like half a dozen different ways he might have done it. He might have snuck in and, and, and let lions in that devoured all the casterlies. He might have snuck in and whispered in all their ears and had them turn on each other. Or the most realistic possibility is he um, snuck in and began a relationship with the daughter of Lord Casterly, mm. and they had a child. And um, because there was no sons in the line, he sort of married into it. So could mm. she be this Lady Casterly that falls for Land the Clever and basically starts an entirely new line? Of the one Lannister. of that the Lannister house, and you uh, could totally. I mean, that my theory was always that she might be a early Lannister, just because you could clearly see casting Naomi Watts to play the ancestor. Oh of yeah, right. Lannister. That's the, sort of the most sure. obvious direct connection to the right. current story. Right. Uh, I like that. You got you, you're all winning me over. This is why I always <laughs> say I'm so bad with predictions. Uh, my my last job, they're like, hey, uh, Ken, going into season seven, could you give us like your top five predictions? For I was like, I'm. I'm really bad. Can't you see Naomi Watts like looking <laughs> steely with a glass of wine, oh, like yeah. looking out a window? It just feels like that's where you'd go. And when you have a word like socialite, it does lend itself to her being from the South mm-hmm. and right. not a Northerner. Right. Because right. I mean, we're, we're talking 5,000 years prior, yeah. like Winterfell hasn't even been built yet. There's no cities up North. Um, but Garth Greenhands was uh, uh, well known as having established chivalry in mm-hmm, the reach mm-hmm. and this was the the you know the, the eden of the of the westeros of all the seven kingdoms and down there things might have been a little bit further along in terms of sophistication and so if you use a word like socialite part of me thinks that maybe we're talking more about one of the southern houses it is like that it is interesting i have to say one thing i really <laughs> didn't think about much until we've just had this conversation is if you were talking about like the, maybe it's a factor of the seasons. Right. Westerosi or history seems to be progressing slower right. than Earth history. Like if right. you go five thousand years back from our yeah, what's a year? civilization, <laughs> it's it's like early ancient Egypt. Right. You know, like even Mesopotamia or whatever. Very yeah. primitive. Yeah. Whereas in this, it seems like it's. We're just we, we're in a medieval sort of setting in Game of Thrones, and then we're going to go back five thousand years. What's pre-medieval? And, yeah, we, yeah. We're still, well, it doesn't sound like they're describing like the Bronze Age. You know, right, like right. they're not in they're not you know hunter gatherers still. They're living in castles and they have right. cities, and there's such a thing as being a socialite, and right? Yeah. So, I mean, that doesn't sound like Stone Age, right? That sounds like it's already kind of Middle Ages. Well, you figure, yeah, you're right. These long seasons can might mean maybe it's like yeah, it seems like they've maybe progressed from like the year seven hundred to the year. 1200 in the time it would take us to do all of human civilized history. I like that. I like that. I got a a wild prediction here from a a listener, Rocky Persinger, as we start to close the show here. He says this. All right. So it's set during the first long night, correct? Which the rumored title is a long night, right? Allegedly from, I think even George said that himself, right? Yeah. I think, um, didn't Goldman slip during an interview and, and she said, and afterwards said, oh, that's not confirmed. But then once it came out, uh, Martin has said, I'm campaigning for it. Yeah, that'd so. be the one I want. Um, so Rocky <laughs> says that. So what about so 10 years, 10,000 years before? I have a prediction. The show will detail the origin of the Night King, which is what we've been talking about here a little bit, which will be proven to be Bran the Builder. So he wants Hey-o. to even combine but those. Wait. 
Nope, Correct me, book readers, if I'm wrong. We've seen the birth of the Night King already, right? Isn't that the children of the well, forest stab the guy? Right. We don't right. know who he is. Right. We could be make... different. Could be the same. Yeah. But I mean, I, I feel like you wouldn't do a whole show leading up to that moment because we've already seen already it. Seen. You got to lead up to something we don't know about. So Rocky goes goes on to say there will be a war between the first men and the first White Walkers. At the end of the story, truce will be made between the White Walkers and the men. Three conditions. There will be a wedding between a man and a White Walker, which got ties to a little bit what we were talking about yep. with uh, this, the Lord wow. Commander. Who falling. gets married off to an ice zombie? That, you know, the we 13th. didn't even know they were female. Right. Uh, there will be regular sacrifices made to the White Walkers so they can create new White Walkers. And the wall is built and White Walkers retain the land north and men have the uh, land of the south. Children of the forest will be in the summer as well. So I love the, Rocky so the throws it. deal has gone. Yeah. Back thousands of uh, years. Rocky tosses that in the last sentence. Eh, Children of the Forest will be in there somewhere. So I want to read that. <laughs> uh, but what I liked about Rocky saying is I do see this series, maybe the first season, building towards, I don't think the, the wall being built, but I think the whole series may be going towards that type of situation. I feel like we're, yeah, I mean, sure. I, I, I feel like we're not going to see a lot of like the Children of the Forest. Like that's still going to be mm. kind of background. Like we'll spend most of our time in human world i right. feel like because a, a little of that would go a long way I, I i going to what we're talking about up top about yeah getting pulling people in before it hits them with big fantasy makes them yeah yeah i think we leave them in their sort of cave yeah. in the far north <laughs> but remember the cave now and, now and then <laughs> to play devil's advocate a little bit though on Do that it. count like uh i was thinking though like what are the magic elements aside of you know, we know that the long night is when the white walkers first came. Right. So that's a given. If it's at the end of the first season, if they're plotting out, if their fingers are crossed and they're going, if we get exactly what we want, what are they thinking? Five seasons, right. six seasons. Like I, I think that that's going to be telling in terms of how much we see right off the bat. Mm-hmm. But the age of heroes theoretically started when uh, the first men came over and were fighting the children and the giants for supremacy over Westeros. Right. They're basically winning, but they both sides were so tired of fighting that they came up with the pact on the God's eye. Right. And, um, and the children of the forest said, all right, fine, we give up. You can take the land. Just stop cutting our trees down. <laughs> and we're going to kind of like disappear into our yeah. groves. And the first men were like, okay, fine. Um, we're good. So they're around and I feel like we are going to need magical elements when we don't have things like dragons. So I think that they actually might play a bigger role. And I also think there might be more characters again, maybe Naomi Watts could be like one of the woods, witches Mm. of legend kind of a thing, uh, trying to hide it most likely, but you know, that's the dark secret. And there are several characters that pop up um, names that are like, so-and-so Stark drove the giants north or, right. you know, th- that kind of thing. Like, I feel like those mm. could be some of the characters and some of the things that they have to be doing. I think Leaf is in the series and she's <laughs> the only crossover character, <laughs> Leaf. Uh, we could talk on and on and on. I think we got a good picture where our minds are right now and season eight's coming here. So I, I don't want to keep everyone here for a long time. I know you listening are probably like, keep going, keep going. Maybe we'll do the five-hour podcast one day. My computer will melt. We haven't even talked about what happened to Sir Davos. Where I haven't done my monologue on Sir Jorah. Yeah. Oh, I thought you went a whole episode without it. You and I made it through an entire Game of Thrones podcast without mentioning Jorah. <laughs> well, we did. You now. just did. Oh, man. <laughs> a lot there. We're going to be talking uh, more about it. Castle Talk is something that will be on its own feed here. You're listening right now. A lot of you might be listening to uh, me on the Knapsack Files. Uh, pop over here if you were a Daily Thrones listener. Here's the show now. Uh, Anchor's kind of changed the, the way they approach it, and it's uh, 
and uh, about I can do long episodes, not short little ones like I was doing with Daily Thrones. So that's why Catchly Talk is here. And with a name like that, that Lon created, I was like, man, Lon, you got to come do the show with me so we can finally have the title yeah. that we wanted for a show here. I wrote like a hundred Game of Thrones <laughs> podcasting puns, and that was the best. And this was the winner. So uh, if you, uh, I'm trying to do this show. Uh, we're going to do the show, but it is a goal to really launch it in full. Uh, go to patreon.com slash files to help me reach that goal. But uh, you don't have to do that. You can support by listening and spreading the word on this show. So Casterly Talk will grow. This will be my home for talking Game of Thrones in season eight. Uh, Rachel, thank you so much for coming on in. Tell the people where they can find you and cheer you on and the schmodown and all those cool things. <laughs> you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Rachel J. Cushing. Thank you, Lon. We know that you're doing fine work over there at Screen Junkies, oh, but where can they fine. follow you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at L-O-N-S. That's the easiest way. And just go to Screen Junkies on YouTube and check out some of the stuff we're doing. Absolutely. And, and support the Harris Brothers in the Schmodown. Yes, the Harris well. Brothers. We're, uh, we got a we got a big uh, big match big coming match. up against I am watching closely. That's critic, critically acclaimed. Oh, I like that one there. You can follow me at KedNapsuck. Go to napsuckfiles.podomatic.net for more information of all the things I do. That is it for now here on Casterly Talk. Mm-hmm.